Well, good, good morning, everyone. It, it is absolutely great to be here. Uh, I must confess, I mean, standing up here on the big stage, so to speak, is uh, a little intimidating. But you know what? God works in and through us in remarkable, amazing ways. And so I'm just honored to bring uh, the word before you this morning and pray that the Lord speaks through me um, as we share um, some thoughts with respect to this element of, of freedom. Um, when I, I must confess, when, when Craig and Adam called me, I was out in Vancouver area with Karen, and they said, would you be willing to, to speak um, on uh, October 22nd into um, the whole topic of freedom? And I immediately said, yes, of course, I'd, I'd be happy to. I'd love that. Thank you very much. I don't know if you've ever said yes to something, and then you step back and you say, wait a second, what, what did I just sign up for? Um, I've got a good friend down in Wilton, his name is Tom, uh, and he has a nickname for me, he calls me every time he sees me, sign me up Johnny, um, because uh, I say yes, and then I step back and sure, yeah, I'll climb that cliff, sure, yeah, um, and then I look and say, wait a second, what did I do that for? But, you know, as I thought about um, this invitation to speak on this topic this morning and kind of the, who am I and what do I have to share with respect to this whole notion of freedom, especially in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people over the course of this morning. Um, I realized that you can't really talk about and step into the topic of freedom without understanding and speaking to um, the topic of bondage. Uh, and so as I, I thought and prayed and reflected on this notion and this reality that we can't understand the condition of freedom without understanding and acknowledging the existence of the state we call bondage, I came to realize that I personally know a lot more about bondage and the despair that comes with it and the peace and hope that comes with what lies on the other side of it than I originally thought. I'm currently the chair of the board of an organization um, out of Hartford, Connecticut. They're actually a church in action ministry partner of ours that we've uh, worked alongside of for a number of years called um, the Underground New England. Um, the Underground New England's mission and focus is basically to serve adults, both men and women, uh, many of whom have been trafficked uh, since childhood or their teen years. And, Every single one of them, before they reach out to us for help in escaping their traffickers, are in bondage. Every single one. Not only literally physical bondage, um, but emotional, mental, and spiritual bondage as they battle what comes with being trafficked. And over the course of time, I've gotten to know, um, and I would even say become friends with uh, one woman in particular named Teresa. Teresa's been on this stage during uh, a couple of our Church in Action weeks and has shared her testimony of her encounter with Jesus. But, uh, and I won't go into it in detail, but I think it lays a good framework for our conversation today. Teresa started being sold by her mom for drugs uh, at... Uh, I think it was the age of 13 or 14. And, and as she spent time in this world of, 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 of being trafficked and enslaved in that darkness for 10, 20 years, 
She found herself one night in a jail cell on a drug charge. And she shares that Jesus came to her in that jail cell. And in that encounter with Jesus, her life radically changed. That a life in, that was in bondage began to emerge into a journey into freedom. And um, it, it's just been an incredible experience to speak with her. I, in fact, I, I called her a couple of weeks ago to ask her permission, could I share this, you know, it publicly, because this is streaming online and it'll be on YouTube for every, the world to see. And she said, yes, of course. And so I called her and she said, John, Pastor John, just hold it one sec. Um, I've got somebody else uh, on the line. And I could hear her. She had two phones. And real time, while I'm sitting there and listening, she's engaged in a conversation with another person on the phone. And she's talking to this person in a, such a loving, caring way. And she's saying, don't worry. I will come. I'll be over there shortly to, to help you. To, you know, to, we'll work through this together. This is a new place you're living in. Don't let anybody in until I get there, but it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And she comes back on the line. She says, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. But that was an 82-year-old woman that I've been working with and coming alongside of who's still fighting the memories of her childhood and her uh, journey through um, what she experienced uh, in this dark world. And so Jesus does amazing things in and through us as he, um, as we step from this world of bondage into freedom. Just so getting even more personal, uh, and I, again, I, I won't do it here this morning, but I've shared from this stage a couple of times my own journey from bondage to, bondage to freedom as I um, finally had to come to grips with an alcohol addiction that ruled my life for a good number of years. And and uh, Jesus came and met me one Christmas Eve. And uh, my life radically changed as a result of that encounter. And I stepped into a world of freedom that is indescribable, but it's filled with complete peace and hope um, and has replaced the despair that comes with an addiction. And so with this as a backdrop, what I'd like to do is really focus the, the review as we talk about Paul's journey to the on the road to Damascus, which I'll be reading shortly. I'd like to, to really look at four key points as we, we, we go through this morning. The first is our journey. The second, our condition. The third, our call and our destination. And fourth, our Jesus. We, every one of us, are on a personal journey as we walk through life. Every single one of us sitting this, here this morning. In this journey, we're either walking in a condition or state of bondage to something, or we're walking in a state of freedom from something. All of us don't need to drive Route 84 here for too long to see that there are some people out there that are living in a state of bondage called anger. Uh, it's become kind of dangerous to ride, drive that, that road. This condition we walk in is going to absolutely determine our call and our destination. That's my third point. But fourth and most importantly, our Jesus is always ready to encounter us on this journey to return us to who we were created to be. And so my hope for you this morning 
is if you're being held in bondage by anything, as you sit here or as you watch, that you're able and willing to hand it to Jesus and step into freedom. Because when we experience freedom, we arise. We arise from the ashes of despair. And when we arise, we shine. Teresa shined right through that telephone a couple weeks ago as I spoke with her, as she came alongside of the um, woman that she was talking with. So if you have your Bibles or your phones with you, please go ahead and open them to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. Acts 9, verses 1 through 9. Before we do, though, um, let me pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, would you bring to us a word of hope, a word of encouragement, a word of transformation, a word of renewal, as we look at Paul's journey um, and what and how you encounter him on this road and how his life is radically altered um, as a result. So we thank you, Jesus, for this time. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, he remained there blind for three days, but, not bid, but did not eat or drink. <clears throat> May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Let's start with, first of all, who was this guy Saul? Who was this man? Um, some of you may not know coming in um, the story of Saul and what lie behind uh, this incident. Um, and the, uh, the rest of us, I mean, is Saul, who is Saul relative to this guy named Paul that we'll be hearing about? Well, this, this Saul is a man we're going to be hearing about and studying from as we go through the rest of Acts, um, as a good amount of Acts is devoted to his work following this incident. He's the same man that you have heard referred to as Paul. And many think, I was actually under the understanding at first that his name changes from Saul to Paul as a result of this incident that we just read. When in case that's, that's, not, um, that's not the fact. Um, Acts 13.9 later describes 
the apostle as Saul, who was also called Paul. See, in those days, apparently, it was not uncommon for people to have two names. And as Saul was born a Jew his, and, and studied in the tabernacle and the, and, the, and the synagogue and lived amongst his Hebrew um, friends and family, his Hebrew name was Saul. But Saul was also born in the city of Tarsus, which was ruled by the Romans, and he was born a Roman citizen. And this becomes an important, very important fact later as we study some future um, incidents with, with Paul and his ministry. But Paul was his Roman name. And so as he works and, and he's out engaging with the, the Hebrew community that um, he encounters, he, he refers to himself as Saul. But then as he begins his ministry with the Gentiles in the, uh, and, and going out into the rest of the, the world, um, he refers to himself as Paul. <clears throat> and uh, what I'd like to do is, with, with that kind of established, that uh, I'd like to use this chart uh, as a way that we can begin to look at this incredible journey with Jesus. And, and we'll have this up on the screen, and it'll be filled out uh, as I go on. But, and I'd encourage you at some point, take a picture of it. Um, because there's some really uh, interesting truths here. Um, but we'll look at his journey, his cause, his condition, and his destination, and his call, first of all, in the context of Paul on the road, or Saul on the road to imprison. <clears throat> and um, let's look at, first of all, his journey is one to be a, journey, a zealous journey to search and destroy. Uh, in Acts 22.3, Paul writes, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I stuttered under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. His zealousness basically was not a bad thing, but his zealousness was focused in the wrong direction. He requested letters to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. That's from Acts chapter 9, verse 2. If we can move to the screen where this um, chart begins to get filled out, please. But his cause is one that is focused on lock them up. His condition is he's externally free. Paul is going wherever he wants, but I believe that he is internally in chains. If you go back to the first verse of chapter 9 that we read, it reads, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. That's an interesting verse. Here's a guy that's uttering threats with every breath and is eager to go out and kill those who don't believe in the same religion that he does or share the same faith he does. And that's a pretty deep anger in my mind and one that is not just a passing anger, but one I think that um, he was ruled by and I, and I would dare say he was in bondage to. So while externally he's free, internally, he's being gripped by this hatred and this anger that is driving him. His destination, where was he going? 
day to day, anywhere his anger led him. Acts 3 says, but Paul began, Acts 8, 3, I'm sorry, but Paul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. There were multiple places that Paul went geographically to seek out arrest, harm, hurt, and even kill the followers of Jesus. And his call, well, his call, I think, was to persecute and be feared, or what I would call arise and snuff out. In Acts 7, 57 through uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, and chapter 7 is devoted to um, a, uh, the, 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 this follower of Jesus named Stephen and how enraged he makes uh, the, his, the, the listeners that he's speaking to as he speaks with, to them about Jesus, how enraged they become to the point where they take him out and they stone him to death. And it reads, as they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul approved of their killing him. So here is a, a man who is totally focused on persecuting and being feared. And imagine what the scene looked like as this was happening with Stephen, these others are coming and laying their coats at Paul's feet. That had to be a pretty amazing feeling for Paul in terms of being feared um, and revered. And then, on the road to Damascus, Jesus encounters Saul. Now, those words and the order of those words are very important. Notice I didn't say, and then Paul encounters Jesus. Just the opposite. And then Jesus encounters Paul. Jesus is the one here who initiates the encounter and meets Saul where he is at. And I thought about that a lot. And I realized this is the nature of our Jesus. He comes and meets us where, he's at, where we are at. And did you ever think about the fact that he's the one that's pursuing us? And when we do meet us up, he meets us where we are at that point in time. He's the one who says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And there's example after example, encounter after encounter, where we see Jesus in, um, going to individuals. Jesus goes to a woman at a well, makes a beeline right through Samaria, right to this woman. Two brothers fishing. He goes through Jericho to a tree and looks up at a man, a tax collector, up in this tree. He goes to the house of a synagogue ruler, to not only to the house, but the daughter's bedroom, where the daughter has just died. He goes and crosses the Sea of Galilee to encounter a demon-possessed man living in the tombs. 
he goes to his best friend's tomb in a graveyard. He encounters two people on a road to Emmaus. And finally, he walks through a wall to be with his disciples hiding in fear in a room. These are amazing encounters that, where radical transformation occurs. And you could argue in some form or way, it's a transformation from some form of bondage into some form of freedom. A woman at a well shares her newfound freedom after being with Jesus with her entire town. A demon-possessed man previously bound in chains goes on to spread the good news across a huge area called the Decapolis. And 11 disciples living in the bondage of their fear who are hiding out in a room become the foundation of a movement called The Way. And 10 of them are eventually martyred for it. This is a radical encounter resulting in radical transformation from bondage to freedom. And so if we go back to Paul and Saul and what happens next following this incident with, with um, Jesus' encounter with, with Saul on the road to Damascus, the transformation is unmistakable with respect to his journey, his cause, his condition, his destination, and his call. If we could go to the next slide, please. From Saul being on the road to imprison, Saul slash Paul is now on the road to prison. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. His journey changes from a zealous journey to search and destroy to a zealous journey to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what I've done is listed some scriptural references here, and um, rather than read through them, I would encourage you to, to take a picture of this and go back and look at these passages relative to the, um, the, the character changes in Saul slash Paul. His cause changes from lock them up to raise them up. His whole purpose becomes to raise up the church, not destroy the church. His condition changes 180 degrees from being externally free, internally in chains, to externally in chains, but internally free. One of the passages that I cite here is in Acts 16, 22 to 25. Go and read it. This is Paul and Silas when they're in prison, and they've been arrested and beaten for their encounter with, with a fortune teller in a town. And they're thrown into the darkest dungeon in, in, that, in that town and put in shackles. But what are they doing at midnight? What? They're singing hymns and praising God and praying. And that's amazing freedom, folks, to be sitting in a dark jail cell, which is not the Hyatt Regency, by the way, at midnight singing and praising to Jesus, songs of praise to Jesus. His destination changes from wherever his anger and hatred led him to wherever his Jesus led him. Throughout Paul's ministry, you see him returning to a call to, to Jesus to the, through the Holy Spirit of being directed, where do they want me? Where do you want me? I'm sorry, where do you want me to go, Lord? Where do you want me to go next? And time after time, his direction changes based on where Jesus is leading him. And finally, his call 
transforms from persecuting and being feared, arise and snuff out, to be persecuted and humbled and arise and shine. Of the 27 books in the New Testament that reference Paul or are associated with Paul in some way, 13 of those books are directly attributed to Paul, and approximately half of, of Acts, which we're studying now, deals with Paul's life and works. And, and so out of this encounter on a road to Damascus, this incredible story and testimony emerges of, of change and, and impact with respect to the sharing of the love and peace of Jesus Christ and, and the reality of freedom. I've got to wrap up in a couple of minutes, but let me say this. As we, in a couple of weeks, less than two weeks, there's going to be a small group of us going to Cambodia. We've been invited to come over to be with one of our church and action partners. Some of you may know Fountain of Hope, Yoka Opstel, who is the, was the executive director, has been here a number of times. Naret Piang, uh, who is the in-country director, has been here. And um, we are going at their invitation to come alongside of about 80 of their staff who are coming in from around the country to gather for a staff retreat. And then we are also going to um, help train and equip um, about approximately 100 cell church leaders that are coming in from the villages around Cambodia who lead small church cell churches in their um, villages. And if you were able to be with us um, and have conversations, here's some truth and reality of, of this community of staff and cell church leaders as relates to bondage and freedom. Many of them don't know their birth date. Um, as children of or, or first generation following uh, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge, uh, families were broken up, parents were separated from children um, villages were completely destroyed. There was no such thing as record keeping. And in many cases, they may not be able to tell you their birth date. But what they are able to tell you, I can guarantee you this, is if you ask them, do you remember when you met Jesus? They can tell you, yes, I can. And what he has done. And so, you know, we, we have this opportunity to come alongside this community that's also had to live and, and grown up in a, in a culture that worships their ancestors and the spirits of their ancestors, that live and believe in this notion of reincarnation, that if they're good in this life, they will come back as something better in the next. Um, and then dealing with the horror and tragedy that came with the Khmer Rouge and the genocide um, there is a lot of potential there to be bound up in a lot of different things. Um, but they are walking a road to freedom because in their faith and in their work, um, they are uh, arising and shining as they come alongside of the communities that they serve. And so it will be with great love and and uh, joy that we get to go over and be, be next to them and hear their stories um, as, I would say, church arising and shining. This is a community of church that is arising and shining over in, over in Cambodia. We have that same call here this morning, not only as individuals, but as a collective community in our freedom. We are called to arise and shine. And so as I 
close, I'd like to invite the worship team to rejoin me on stage. And let me ask you this, and I mean this in all seriousness. What journey were you on when you sat down this morning, either here in Bethel or those of you who may be listening online right now? <clears throat> in this journey, one that has, if, if, is this journey one that has you in bondage to a deep sense of shame, guilt, fear, anger, hurt, addiction? If so, the longer you carry that burden in, it holds you in its grip, the deeper you will go into self-isolation, depression, desolation, and even self-destruction. I know I can speak to that firsthand. Jesus wants to encounter you, and I guarantee you he will meet you where you are. But he doesn't only want to meet you, he wants to give you rest and take your burden and free you of it. But first, you have to give him permission to do that. Following the service this morning, we'll have prayer servants up front. I would encourage you, don't leave carrying something that you don't need to, keep, to carry any longer. It could be bondage to a financial challenge that you're facing. Could be bondage to anger over something that was done to you. It could be bondage, like I said, to an addiction. Don't Carry what you don't need to carry in bondage. Step in to being free from it. The other thing that I'll note before I close us in prayer is we have an incredible ministry called Celebrate Recovery. It was instrumental in changing my life. And I know there's a number here this morning who can testify to that same thing. Um, in your pursuit of freedom, this is a community that wants to walk alongside of you um, in total peace and confidence. Uh, as you let go of what it is you need to let go of and step into this newfound freedom. Let me pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, your word this morning, your testimony uh, and work through Saul and your encounter of him on the road to Damascus and how you transformed him and uh, led him into an incredible new reality that changed the world. Just thank you, Jesus, for this time together. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you.